بسم اللہ الرحمن الرحیم لیڈیز اینڈ جینٹلمین السلام علیکم اینڈ ویلکم ٹو دی الیونتھ ایپیزوڈ آف پاکستان جیو اسٹریٹجک ریویو ود یور ہوسٹ زکی خالد وی بگن ود دا فرسٹ ٹاپک آف دس پوڈ کاسٹ ایپیزوڈ وچ از موسا چیف یوسی کوئنس بیک چینل ڈیلیبریشنز آن پیلسٹائن اکارڈنگ ٹو دا جیروسلم پوسٹ It was recently confirmed that Mossad director Yossi Cohen is helping to moderate Gulf Arab states' opposition to Israel's annexation of the West Bank. Basically, he's trying to calm the Arab Gulf states and trying to assure them that whatever Israel is trying to do is in their larger shared interests, that is obviously against Iran, and also finds consonance with the US President Donald Trump's overall um, Middle East peace plan. which was dubbed by a very ambitious by some and completely rejected by many others. He is expected to hold secret one-on-one meetings with various Arab leaders in the near future. So we can expect Cohen to visit Saudi Arabia and the UAE in the coming future because these are the two main countries which have uh, considerable influence in the Muslim world. And uh, especially when we talk about the Jerusalem Post, it mentioned that leaders of the Sunni Arab world, so it makes it very clear that Saudi Arabia and the UAE are definitely going to be on the list. Uh, both these countries are uh, powerhouses in the Gulf Cooperation Council and they have uh, a long time extra regional uh, or not extra regional but uh, extra territorial involvement in the geopolitical affairs of countries in the neighborhood whether they are in the GCC itself or in North Africa such as Libya. Uh, Cohen has been instrumental in forging working relationships with uh, these countries, the Arab Gulf countries including against Iran and uh, he was also one of the uh, only Mossad directors to offer technical assistance to Arab Gulf countries against Iran such as cyber warfare and some other techniques. Uh, through which they could uh, collectively secure Israeli and Arab interests. Uh, also, um, Cohen utilized his uh, relations with Arab countries to secure the procurement of medical supplies uh, to combat COVID. So, it's not just the fact that he is deliberating on Palestine, but he has already forged uh, working relationships uh, discreet with the uh, Arab Gulf countries and uh, This is uh, unprecedented for any Mossad chief because while there have been historical relations between uh, the Mossad and their counterparts in the neighborhood, particularly Egypt uh, and Jordan, uh, the growing uh, links with the Arab Gulf countries is something quite new. Uh, almost a decade ago, this would have been unimaginable, but uh, the convergence of uh, strategic interests has prompted a rethink among many Arab Gulf states. Uh, Yossi Cohen is the 12th director of the Mossad. He was appointed in 2016 and previously he was the national security advisor to Benjamin Netanyahu and uh, he is considered by many Israeli commentators as exceptionally close to Netanyahu considered a close confidant but uh, like some of his many other protégés uh, Cohen also is sometimes unequivocally critical of Benjamin Netanyahu and um, he actually believes that uh, being a pragmatist basically when you are in a, such a position as an intelligence chief uh, there are many things uh, which are visible in the horizon and they extend far beyond uh, limited political interests. 
uh, Cohen has been very uh, vocal about trying to establish long-lasting peace relationships with uh, Arab Gulf countries and trying to find a workable uh, long-term solution for the Israeli-Palestinian conundrum which would be mutually beneficial but obviously uh, there are some things which would be kept supreme in his point of view for Israeli national interests or the overall Zionist national interests so to speak uh, he is a fluent Arabic speaker apart from uh, French so uh, that uh, added language capability also makes him uh, able to directly uh, engage in uh, discrete communications with his counterparts in various Arab Gulf countries um, in 2018 or January 2018 to be precise uh, Cohen was responsible for supervising the operation to smuggle uh, archives of uh, Iranian nuclear materials from uh, Iran into Israel and if you remember that uh, famous press conference in which Netanyahu uh, at the UN tried to sh uh, show a chart showing the Iranian bomb uh, as a symbol that was based on the intelligence which um, Cohen had been successfully able to extract out of Iran and over a period of time Iran has executed several uh, people who it accused of uh, conspiring with the Mossad uh, so these are some of the uh, capabilities which um, the Mossad has been able to uh, accumulate under Cohen's leadership so it's not just a success against Iran to this extent uh, covert success but also the fact that he has been able to receive positive uh, reception in Arab Gulf capitals this is something which has been uh, visible over the past few months uh, if you remember uh, there have been some uh, independent uh, aviation geeks and watchers on open sources who were able to track unknown Israeli base jets landing here and there um, including in Saudi Arabia and Egypt and some other countries so there was speculation going on that if it's not a political leader then it would definitely be someone from the Israeli security establishment particularly the Mossad obviously uh, at the 2019 Herzliya conference um, so this is going a year before this recent deliberation uh, Cohen announced that there was a rare opportunity to reach comprehensive peace treaty with the Palestinians in particular in the Middle East in general um, to this extent uh, prior to the recent uh, wave of uh, trying to revive talks with the uh, Arab Gulf leaders in May 2020 Cohen visited uh, Cairo for a secret meeting with Egyptian intelligence chief Major General Abbas Kamal and Foreign Minister Sameh Shukri he discussed Hamas the situation in Gaza US President Donald Trump's peace plan and Netanyahu's agenda to accord sovereignty to various tracts of uh, the Judea Samaria and Jordan Valley areas obviously this was a strong bone of contention for several Arab Gulf countries uh, Jordan's uh, Prime Minister expressed severe outrage at the suggestion of trying to uh, accord sovereignty to the Jordan Valley and uh, that is where the issue somehow stalled and before that a month prior in Feb 2020 Cohen along with uh, Israel Defense Forces Major General Ertzi Halevi who overlooks operations in the Southern Theater they secretly visited Qatar to meet with uh, Mohammed bin Ahmad al-Misnad 
who is Qatar's intelligence chief and also the national security advisor. Uh, the agenda there was also to discuss Doha's financial aid for Hamas. So basically, we can see that uh, post the killing of Soleimani in uh, December 2019, uh, Cohen has taken upon himself to uh, increase efforts for fast-track uh, secret uh, diplomacy with uh, Arab Gulf countries. He began with, uh, there were some reports about meeting Saudi officials in uh, Jan and Feb also this year. But they mostly turned out to be reports by news outlets which were uh, not of a credible nature, such as Middle East ties. So we couldn't uh, accord them some sort of, sort of credibility which may, they might be hoping for. They're suspected of being uh, uh, Qatar, Qatari disinformation channels. So just for the sake uh, of a benefit of doubt, we would not take their reports into consideration. Um, but we do know for a fact that uh, he first visited Qatar in Feb and then Egypt in May. But there are chances, as mentioned in the recent Jerusalem Post piece, that Cohen would visit further uh, Arab Gulf capitals in the future. We can expect visits to Riyadh and Abu Dhabi. And we might also expect uh, Cohen to visit Muscat because Oman is one country which is in a very good position because of its uh, exceptional relations. Uh, fostered between uh, Netanyahu and the late Sultan Qaboos of Oman to try to reach a shared understanding and develop communication channels uh, with Israel and the Arab world. Now, I don't know uh, to know to the extent in which Oman would be able to figure into this equation, but uh, if either Saudi Arabia or the UAE, at least one of them, comes out uh, in support of Cohen's efforts, at least to the extent that they are able to establish a working communication channel that would, um, first of all, send shockwaves in the entire region because up until now, all these speculations about um, the uh, Israeli security services maintaining uh, links with uh, Arab Gulf countries has been considered far-fetched and uh, a figment of uh, Iranian imagination or something else but uh, this would not only uh, incur consequences for the region itself the Middle East region uh, this would also uh, directly impact uh, the way in which uh, Pakistan tries to approach its uh, own understanding of the Israeli-Palestinian conundrum and uh, support for uh, Palestine because uh, while Palestine is in a position to negotiate uh, with Israel Cohen is a devout uh, uh, opposer to Mahmoud Abbas and he does not consider him uh, credible or suitable for negotiations at least uh, what he considers is uh, a hurdle for a more pragmatic uh, understanding of the issues so while Mahmoud Abbas is at the helm uh, one is not expected to find any sort of meaningful headway uh, with the Israeli security establishment but the interesting thing is that now after his meeting with Qatar and uh, Egyptian officials uh, we, we should be able to expect uh, in the coming months uh, if not weeks some sort of uh, arrangements through which Mahmoud Abbas would either be coerced into trying to uh, uh, open or broaden his uh, dialogue with Israel or there may be a change in leadership in the Palestinian Authority. So it's either of the two equations because the Arab Gulf countries realize without uh, uh, acknowledging Israel's um, interests 
and without accepting their own uh, perspective into the issue any meaningful headway is uh, next to impossible so this is something which uh, will factor in the coming months and uh, as far as Pakistan's uh, geostrategic interests are concerned uh, any headway or any sort of collaboration between uh, the uh, Mossad and uh, Arab intelligence counterparts would obviously foster a, a relationship which would be unprecedented it would directly uh, cause concerns within the Iranian security establishment and now venturing beyond the Sunni Shia debate this would be something which would uh, turn into a, a purely a strategic rift within Pakistan since uh, any continued support of Pakistan to these Arab Gulf countries would automatically be construed by Iran and some other countries which are uh, opposing Israel of being a sort of discrete endorsement or support for the Israeli regime. This would certainly prompt uh, if any meaningful headway is achieved by Cohen with his Arab counterparts this would prompt uh, a serious rethink of within Pakistan about its policy toward Israel and whether today or tomorrow the fact will remain that uh, you cannot subtract Israel from any discussions on Palestine and for its part Pakistan has continued to remain in extreme denial its approach has been denialist it has been rejectionist it has not been pragmatic and um, this is what I'm, I can observe one can observe from the public point of view uh, one is not aware about what goes on behind the scenes uh, one can only speculate about what is being seen on the mainstream media or uh, what is being read in different uh, think tank publications and other online forums so there is no such avenue to believe that there is any sort of uh, uh, communication channel between Pakistan and Israel and this is important to the fact that uh, whatever develops between Israel and the Arab countries it will definitely impact Iran and if anything impacts Iran adversely the spillover will most certainly as always come into Pakistan so this is something which Pakistan will need to factor in its uh, uh, threat matrix it will have to understand that um, when there are opportunities for dialogue between Israel and the Arab world uh, there should be efforts to calm down uh, Iranian rhetoric and try to look at issues from a different angle because um, there could be a possibility that Hamas because of its uh, covert support by uh, Iran could be declared by the Arab Gulf countries maybe in the future you could expect a review in policy by the Qatari regime who have non long been known to be also financial supporters for Hamas uh, they could try to uh, seize or limit their support for Hamas which would obviously uh, increase the burden on Tehran and it would be left alone to support Hamas in the extended neighborhood um, but uh, uh, in the larger Arab interests um, they might unite together this depends also on the fact that there is an also ongoing tussle between uh, Qatar on one hand and Saudi Arabia and the UAE on the other when it comes to uh, relations with Iran Qatar has been known over the past few years to develop cordial relations with Tehran when it was sidelined and bullied by other um, powerful members of the GCC and accused of uh, supporting terrorists such as the Muslim Brotherhood so uh, it remains on Qatar uh, whether or not it continues with its policy of uh, uh, unique 
isolationist tendencies and orientations uh, exclusive of the GCC or it uh, tries to make its way back and uh, revive its old ties with uh, its big brothers in Saudi Arabia and the UAE and comes out of the Iranian orbit and if that happens then obviously there would be a massive uh, spillover effect and the results would be visible not only in Palestine but also uh, in the region at large this would once again prompt a rethink of uh, Pakistan's own geostrategic machinations but here is another point uh, Turkey is also a supporter of the Muslim Brotherhood and Turkey and Qatar both have converging geostrategic interests. Uh, Qatar and Turkey have a, uh, a strong security pact. Uh, Qatar figures prominently as the easternmost node of Turkey's uh, um, Mavi Vatan doctrine, the Blue Homeland doctrine, which I intend to write on it soon, a perspective paper on it. Um, explaining how Qatar would figure into it and implications for the Arabian Sea. So uh, Qatar would definitely consult with Turkey on this because Turkey has uh, its overseas base in Qatar and uh, after these consultations it would be seen whether or not Turkey would support Qatar in its endeavors to try to uh, make headways with Israel or whether Qatar would remain neutral in the whole affair. Then obviously uh, Saudi Arabia and the UAE will be left for themselves on this issue. We can obviously expect support from Bahrain because uh, wherever Saudi Arabia goes, Bahrain definitely follows. Now Oman also is uh, here in, in that scenario, Oman would also be important. So if Qatar and Oman decide that they are not going to be part of these uh, efforts by Cohen to build relationships with Arab Gulf countries, the issue would be stalled just till Saudi Arabia and the UAE die down. But there is an opportunity here for the Egypt as a, an influential country in North Africa to decide whether or not it wants to uh, go ahead uh, and persuade its uh, Arab Gulf counterparts in Saudi Arabia and UAE into the deal with Iran, uh, sorry, with Israel, or uh, they also continue with their historic on and off engagements with Israel as is being done by Jordan. So we'll have to see on that in any case whatsoever in conclusion there is going to be one thing is confirmed there is going to be a critical role played by the Mossad in any negotiations involving uh, Arab Gulf countries approach toward Palestine. So when this issue is doing the rounds uh, it would be imp important to see what kind of a posture Pakistan adopts. If Pakistan decides to support any such ventures, this would obviously incur domestic ramifications also. But um, it would have to calibrate itself accordingly and try to dissuade concerns among the local population as well as uh, neighbor Iran that it is not uh, playing to the tune of Tel Aviv at most, as most would call it. Uh, will the foreign office in Pakistan try to rethink this is something that needs to be seen. Uh, these are uh, deliberations which need to be uh, discussed and uh, looked into at the highest levels. This is not just a passing phase. Coming to the next topic which is uh, Shanghai Cooperation Organization or the SCO stance on Indochina standoff. 
we all know about what is going on at uh, Ladakh. Um, India has been complaining about Chinese uh, incursions across Arunachal Pradesh and Assam, uh, Sikkim, which is in Assam. And uh, the most uh, hotly debated area these days, uh, figuring prominently, is the Pangangso Lake in the Himalayas bordering Tibet. And this is uh, a an area in which there have been so many speculative reports. There is one camp which is led by um, the first supporters of Prime Minister Narendra Modi of India who are trying to vociferously uh, reject any sort of notions that the Chinese have um, set foot and uh, assumed control of uh, Indian territories. And then we have the realist camp. Uh, which is trying, which whose narrative is not fed by uh, any establishment within India and uh, defense reporters like uh, Ajay Shukla, who himself is a former Indian Army colonel and one of the respected Indian defense journalists, who continues to assert that uh, China has indeed captured swathes of Indian territory uh, in the LAC and. Uh, New Delhi continues to remain in denial because it is unable to understand how to deal with the situation without provoking any uh, escalation. And in this regard, there was a recent press conference held by the SCO Secretary General Vladimir Norov of Russia. Uh, he responded to media questions pertaining to various issues. There was one particular question in which he was asked about, I quote, conflict situations between SCO member states." Unquote. Uh, so first of all, before beginning his reply, Norov uh, uh, vehemently rejected the notion of any conflict. But he did acknowledge that, I quote, certain facts, unquote, related to border areas of SCO member states have taken place. So this is a very discreet uh, acknowledgement of the India-China standoff without naming any country because uh, the SCO is very particular about trying to bring in such hot issues and controversial topics within its fold until and unless it has reached an agreement with uh, uh, any of the member states. Norov revealed that there is a common understanding in the SCO member states to resolve their issues bilaterally. But he did add, however, because obviously he is representing the SCO, that if either of the two parties seek mediation from the SCO, they could benefit from their framework, which is known as Regulations on Political and Diplomatic Measures and Mechanisms for SCO Response to Situations Endangering Peace and Security and Stability in the Region. Uh, but without naming the countries again, Norov told the media that uh, India and China have uh, separately assured the SCO of their resolve to find solutions to this issue, I quote, independently, unquote. So uh, it this is a revelation and it shows that uh, both India and China on separate occasions, they informed the SCO that they are fully capable of trying to independently, which is bilaterally, resolving the issue without the need for mediation by the SCO secretariat. Um, so this does show that there were concerns within the SCO and but it is unclear whether the SCO shared these through the proper channel with India and Russia uh, and India and China or 
both countries of their own accord try to dissuade concerns beforehand while trying to resolve the issue bilaterally uh, there is one interesting uh, conclusion to this answer that um, while many in pakistan also including myself have been wondering why uh, sark has not been playing a role and there was also a moment in time in which one was wondering why the sco is silent on this issue because obviously um, the sco is one of the most important regional uh, cooperation mechanisms in asia whether one likes it or not especially whether india likes it or not and uh, it is something which goes beyond sark and it goes into the it covers the whole of eurasia also but uh, interestingly noro clarified this is something which i was not privy to before this is news for me that um, the sco is not a platform for bilateral dispute resolution and differences but rather a high level cooperation mechanism for regional peace security and stability i find this very interesting somehow representing russia i don't know whether uh, noro is aware of the fact that um according to the sco's own charter uh there are uh, member countries are bound to respect each other's uh, sovereignty uh, territory and uh, their own internal mechanisms so uh, if he is saying that um the sco is not a platform for bilateral issues um this actually raises more questions than it um quell answer uh, quell them you'd have to wonder what then is the sco's function is it just a high level strategic discussions framework or is it something which could actually try to yield dividends for member countries through bilateral and multilateral frameworks so it is clear that uh, the sco as far as the sco is concerned as far as norov is concerned at least um until india and china either of them are willing to have the sco negotiate in their issues they would not take them uh, take them up officially so in and of itself the sco would not uh, initiate efforts for reconciliation until and unless member countries are willing to have that done and the fact that china and india both have shown resolve to find a solution to this issue bilaterally uh this is actually something which pakistan needs to look into as well and uh, we have been seeing uh, some statements by some uh, reckless uh, pakistani analysts who have tried to um, drag russia into the equation uh, in fact there is a former um, a senior military official of pakistan who was trying to uh say that russia would uh, try to stabilize and balance uh, defend india's interests against china in this issue and uh, i knew that it was uh, far fetched because russia itself has uh, separately as a nation state it has uh, tried to stay clear of uh, their issues uh, the issues between india and china the sco does not want to get into it and it is very clear that china also does not want to escalate this issue beyond what it was already is and it does not consider it important to be discussed at a regional forum for china definitely it would be an embarrassment if it tries to approach the sco for mediation it would signal a sort of defeat or retreat before the indians and that is the sort of psychological and signaling which it does not want to do and india also does not want to get into this but 
um, if you've read my recent piece for uh, the CSCR in which I write about India's unchecked neighborhood aggression and the role of SARC, whether the SEO goes into it or not is definitely a matter of another concern. But SARC itself is, some, is a forum which should not remain silent because uh, apart from Pakistan, Nepal is also another country and member of SARC whose territory has been violated and continues to be violated by Indian claims and its cartographic aggression. Uh, so China, whether or not it uh, approaches SCO, China should be made a member of SARC. This is what I have been advocating uh, for the past few weeks, uh, especially in the context of this standoff at uh, the LAC. Interestingly, you might have read that uh, piece by a deputy director at a Chinese think tank in which, uh, which is associated with the Ministry of State Sec uh, Public Security, in which he asserts that China's in, um, response at Ladakh is actually um, retribution for India's unilateral revocation of Article 370 in Indian-occupied Jammu and Kashmir. Now, when you keep that into context, this is an issue which goes beyond, if that is to be believed, it goes beyond China and India's realm and it directly impacts Pakistan. So the question remains that now that Pakistan is also indirectly an effective of this whole equation since Ladakh does come under the overall occupied Jammu and Kashmir territories, will Pakistan try to raise the issue at Shanghai Cooperation Organization or not? For I personally don't think so because uh, Pakistan would not want to drag China into a dispute re resolution mechanism as it would embarrass China. So this is totally out of the question. But China, uh, Pakistan can bring India to account at the SCO whether or not there are some notes of protest or there are some other dem demarches or the issue is raised at SARC. Pakistan can record its concerns about how the India-China standoff which is a purely bilateral issue could have consequences for Pakistan's own internal security. But then again, Pakistan would have to be mindful of China getting annoyed by such a gesture. So I for one don't see this happening. On the other hand, the SARC forum, yes, that is something which Pakistan must take a uh, benefit of and exploit the issue to its maximum. Uh, it must, I, as I proposed in my recent piece, it must hold deliberations with uh, Sri Lanka and Nepal. Sri Lanka is the, the Sri Lankan representative is the current president of SARC secretariat, uh, uh, must hold deliberations to include China as a member of SARC or at least as an observer so that uh, a strong objection to India's actions can be taken and that would be a forum in which uh, if China is just an observer then it would not face the sort of embarrassment it, it would face in the SCO as a full member state. Coming to the last topic of this episode, which is the deputation of India's naval liaison officers in Madagascar and UAE. Uh, there was a recent report by Dinakar Perry of the Hindu. Uh, he reported that India is working with France to depute a naval liaison officer at the Regional Maritime Information Fusion Center or the RMIFC in Madagascar 
alongside another naval liaison officer at the European Maritime Awareness in the Strait of Hormuz, E-M-A-S-O-H. So these are two forums. Uh, the RMIFC is situated in Madagascar and the European Maritime Awareness for Strait of Hormuz, E-M-A-S-O-H, is situated in Abu Dhabi, UAE, uh, the capital of UAE. Uh, the ulterior motive of these efforts is to improve uh, linkages between the Indian Navy's own Information Fusion Center for Indian Ocean Region, the IFC-IOR, with these forums for comprehensive accumulation of maritime domain awareness. As we all know, uh, I like to mention my uh, previous writings for context. Um, you would like to see my perspective paper for CSCR titled uh, Indo-US Militarization of the Western Indian Ocean. Uh, you would have to look into that and also the fact that uh, recently um, in November 2019 to be precise, uh, there was a very interesting paper authored by Abhishek Mishra who is a junior fellow at the Observer Research Foundation in New Delhi. I discussed his paper uh, last year also. Abhishek Mishra wrote an occasional paper that was titled India-Africa Maritime Cooperation the Case of Western Indian Ocean. It is a highly recommended read. He has done exceptional research and he made some novel recommendations which as a fellow uh, writer I find to be very interesting unique and uh, rational if we look at it from the Indian perspective. Uh, in it, uh, Mishra proposed uh, November 2019 that the IFC IOR should cooperate closely uh, with Western Indian Ocean forums for enhanced MDA which includes RMIFC in Madagascar as also the Djibouti Code of Conduct Network. So the Djibouti Code of Conduct Network is also another uh, maritime uh, awareness forum and fusion center situated in Djibouti which is um, an East African country overlooking the Western Indian Ocean which has a US base, a Chinese base and a Japanese base. And Mishra also proposed that uh, India should link with the Regional Coordination Operations Center in Seashells. Uh, so to look at things in perspective, first I'd recommend you read Mishra's paper for ORF. Then you read my perspective paper on Indo-US militarization of Western Indian Ocean for CSCR. And then you look at this issue in perspective. So is this Indian effort for linkages with the RMIFC in Madagascar and EMASOH in the UAE new? Absolutely not. Uh, the RMIFIC, the RMIFC functions under the Indian Ocean Commission, the IOC, which comprises of five members, Comoros, France, Reunion, Madagascar, Mauritius and Seychelles. Uh, interestingly, China, the European Union and Japan became observers a few years ago. India joined this uh, network also as an observer in March 2020. China, Japan, the EU and now India are observers in the Indian Ocean Commission. It is headquartered in Mauritius and it focuses on four focus areas, uh, namely political and diplomatic cooperation, economic and commercial cooperation, sustainable development and lastly cultural, scientific, technical and educational cooperation. Um, this has been slow but steady. I India has been uh, consistent in its policies since uh, Modi 1.0 in office. 
and you can see that with the promulgation of uh, project sagar uh, security and growth for all in the region and also uh, uh, prime minister modi's overall policy of trying to establish india as a regional hegemon in the indian ocean region now with us patronage you can expect that uh, they would try to completely uh, assure their dominance of the western indian ocean region and that could not be possible without uh, all out maritime domain awareness so if you need that you need partnerships with uh, fusion centers in these countries so if you have one in madagascar and for example in the future there might be another one with the djibouti so you can expect that the whole east africa coastline would be covered so east africa would be covered then you'd have the european maritime uh, initiative in abu dhabi so the gulf and the strait of hormuz region would be covered and if the one in Mauri uh, seashells uh, sorry the one in mauritius is looked into then that would also cover the southern indian ocean separately on uh, a different perspective india has been trying to increase its focus on the andaman and nicobar islands to uh, establish a similar foothold in the waters of in the seabed of the bay of bengal and uh, i wrote about this i provided some geostrategic context to it in my piece for csr recently uh, titled Lieutenant General Manoj Pandey, India's 15th Andaman Nicobar Command Chief. I presented a background and a profile of the general and what uh, he is actually there for, trying to um, build up uh, the mil improved military infrastructure at the uh, Andaman and Nicobar Islands, uh, so that the project could be completed on time. Because when that is going on simultaneously, you, uh, India would want to improve its intelligence collection and maritime awareness uh, platforms. in the western indian ocean region so these two things are going in parallel uh, unfortunately unfortunately it is uh, of great concern that pakistan has been absolutely incapable or rather non serious in trying to um, secure its uh, interests in the indian ocean region from a maritime perspective uh, it has continued to be fixated with afghanistan which is a disastrous policy because while pakistan is making coherent efforts to negotiate a, a peace settlement in the region with but uh, pakistan is getting blind to the fact that um, uh, this continued um, growth of the uh, indian maritime goliath in the indian ocean region would prove disastrous for not only for pakistan navy as just as a military service but also for pakistan's own geoeconomic interests in the future especially cpec project now um, pakistan does have an opportunity i wrote about this uh, in a piece which was titled uh, uh, pakistan can consider uh, development of artificial islands in its extended continental shelf there is no harm in pakistan trying to establish uh, monitoring stations and uh, intelligence collection bases uh, in the extended continental shelf because it is situated in a very uh, unique position between uh, oman to the left and uh, mumbai to the right so that is a place from which pakistan could improve its uh, maritime reconnaissance and surveillance capabilities for maritime domain awareness uh pakistan is not a member of the indian ocean regional association uh, 
Iora, which is the only forum recognized uh, in the free and open Indo-Pacific policy of the U.S. State Department or the U.S. Um, broadly speaking. Pakistan is not a member of the, uh, has not joined the Indian Ocean Commission as an observer. Why is it that India is always trying to proactively ensure its presence and infiltrate rather uh, these various Indian Ocean littoral forums and Pakistan continues to sleep and maybe perhaps just rely on the PLA to do whatever it can to secure its interests. This closet mindset, this timid mushroomed mindset of Pakistani um, uh, strategists is simply mind-boggling and it continues to incur costs that will have adverse long-term strategic consequences for Pakistan and uh, if Pakistan is to have any basic semblance of uh, a maritime country it will need to develop linkages from the maritime perspective with these various Indian Ocean forums now just for the fact that these naval liaison officers if they are appointed at Madagascar and the European initiative in Abu Dhabi you might also remember my previous episodes in which I discussed about India's attempts to install or rather debute naval liaison officers at a US Central Command in Bahrain and, and the Japanese already have an observer there so uh, militarily as well as from a purely uh, maritime information perspective uh, the Indian Navy is asserting itself in regional maritime forums and Pakistan Navy is as usual in its timid posture it is concerned only uh, toward its immediate maritime periphery its coastal periphery in the North Arabian Sea it is not looking beyond the North Arabian Sea it is extremely worrying that uh, despite India's attempts to encircle Pakistan and China and the maritime silk route from Myanmar in the east down till East Africa to the west um, Pakistan continues to remain oblivious this is a disastrous uh, approach this is something uh, which I have continued to criticize and I will continue to criticize because um, as far as the geostrategic interests are concerned um, Pakistan is simply unable to look at the maritime threat spectrum which is going to be one of the most important areas of concern in the coming five years and it will be something which it needs to be prepared for and the Pakistan Navy will have to improve its maritime domain awareness it cannot simply rely on its own small-time self-initiated measures or simply becoming a member of the Indian Ocean Naval Symposium that is completely insufficient uh, Pakistan has an opportunity at hand to try to develop and build its own improved fusion center with regional collaboration and not just um, basic information sharing through complex software that is not what uh, information fusion centers are about India is going a step ahead they are going beyond these systems to actually depute liaison officers why is it that Pakistan is not able to replicate this uh, these matters is beyond me so we'll have to look into this uh, in quick summation Indian Navy has been uh, is trying to install liaison officers at US Central Command in Bahrain 
where Pakistan has uh, exclusive presence from this uh, from the subcontinent and now it is trying to infiltrate Madagascar and the UAE so what will Pakistan do will it just uh, consu uh, consume this new uh, this information is just in the news or will it try to look into it and focus on the Indian Ocean region for once it appears that Pakistan is out of its ignorance maybe is trying to allow the Indian Ocean region to become a backyard for the Indian strategic security establishment if that is the case then it is extremely worrying if not time to act is now that's it for this edition of the Pakistan Geostrategic Review Podcast. Uh, I look forward to your comments, suggestions and feedback. You can email me at parkgeostrategicreview at protonmail.com. You can also tweet me at uh, PGR Podcast or Mr. ZPK. Uh, until next time, Allah Hafiz.